Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. We are so excited here at Blink of an Eye Studios as our nonprofit has decided to unify our brands to one, Blink of an Eye nonprofit and podcast, and we just received another grant for our work with spinal cord injury families in crisis from the Nielsen Foundation. The Craig Nielsen Foundation supports collaborative partnerships and inclusive ideas to change the world for those living with spinal cord injuries. They are as excited as we are for what all of us are creating together for trauma healing and for spinal cord injury in particular. Nielsen is another of the first financial underwriters of the Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team for Spinal Cord Injury Families. You can find out more about the Blink of an Eye initiatives and you can register for the inaugural online Science of Trauma and Trauma Healing Symposium, taking place November 3rd, 2022. Dr. Babbitt Katab and Dr. Daniel Siegel will join us as we explore brain mapping trauma and the interpersonal neurobiology of trauma and how we can move towards healing and live fully integrated lives of well-being. You don't want to miss it. Students are free, and others, like teachers, lawyers, and school counselors, can receive continuing education credit. And doctors, nurses, and social workers can obtain continuing medical education credit as well. We are all learning so much together. Please join us with these nationally regarded experts for the Science of Trauma Symposium looking at the brain and trauma. You can also build community with others in the spinal cord injury and trauma healing space by following the Blink of an Eye Nonprofit on Instagram at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and on Facebook at the URL facebook.com backslash www.blinkofaneye.org. Links to those platforms will be in the show notes. If you know of a spinal cord injured family in the crisis hours and days following injury, please connect them to www.blinkofaneye.org. We are so grateful to our donors and volunteers. And if you are interested in making a difference in the lives of those with SCI trauma, you too can be a part of the Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team effort as they are recruiting experts in trauma and trauma healing and physicians trained in neurology like neurourologists and neuropulmonologists 
to support the blink-of-an-eye navigators working with the families. They're also inviting blink-of-an-eye podcast listeners to volunteer as spiritual warriors, praying specifically for spinal cord-injured families whom the blink-of-an-eye team is working with. And for those who are creative or who like to have written connection, the blink-of-an-eye family support team is recruiting artists and letter writers for the Hope Lifters campaign to send daily words of inspiration and encouragement to spinal cord injury families in the first 30 days of crisis. If this ministry is calling out to you, go to the nonprofit blinkofaneye.org or send me an email at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. And oh yes, I see that is the parent of the blinkofaneye.org nonprofit. Now, for today's Blink of an Eye story episode. In our last episode, you had a glimpse of my visit home to Baltimore and my buoyant feeling that I could do it again. Come home for a brief period of time to see our youngest son, Dutch, and connect with being home. I was sure I could do this. I wanted to do this. And I also felt like I had to for my whole family. And I also needed to re-fortify myself. I knew as a mediator, working in high conflict and other people's crises, that I had to take care of myself so that I could be the best transformative mediator I could be over the years, as well as to take care of others I loved. I realized it was no different now that my family and I were the ones in crisis. So in between the day of trying to be normal back in Baltimore, dropping Dutch off at school and planning to pick him up at the end of the school day before soccer practice, I had plans to go to my office, check in with everyone I possibly could, and then go to visit some of my own care team, healers of sorts. I had already been relying upon for a number of years in a circle I had been building around myself, a care team. If you don't have a care team, you might consider creating one, or perhaps you already do but you just haven't thought of it as your care team, your circle of healers. Well, in today's episode, you'll hear from two people whom I considered part of my care team. So, as we go back to Baltimore, to day two of my being home. I found some personal journal notes on my phone. They were voice notes full of funny errors, as it was also new to me to do this voice to text, and I wasn't looking back to edit. But now that I am looking back, I am reminded of the solace that notes brought me back then. I just wanted to remember what we were going through. I knew I never could, as so many things of significance seemed to happen each day 
and I also wanted to know I wasn't going crazy. I knew I would have to go back to make sense of it all, and that I would need to remember, so I could feel normal again, someday. Well, where we are in the story, it is early morning on September 14, 2015. There were many unresolved conflicts swimming in my head, and while it felt so darn good to be in my own bed, an unsettling alarm on my phone awoke me in the middle of the one night I had at home. And in my delirium, (laughs) not only could I not find or figure out the snooze button to turn it off, but I thought I was back in the ICU. I was totally disoriented. I didn't know where I was and thought I was in Archer's hospital room. But in the dark, I didn't know and couldn't figure out where I was for a few moments. Maybe that has happened to you too, after a long period of time in an intense hyper on edge experience. I think it wreaks havoc on the central nervous system because the shrill sounds of the code blues and the harsh beeping of Archer's monitors would just not leave me alone. As I lay in bed, sweating from the shock of not knowing where I was, I realized how tangled the ICU sounds were in many of my thoughts. A sort of ugly backdrop. While I knew I was being robbed of much-needed sleep, I didn't fight that constant hypervigilance because, well, I felt it was what might help get Archer out of the hospital and back to his life. It's true. In a rather perverse way, I had worked out in my mind that the seemingly constant hyper-alertness was my friend. I did not fight her. I thought she was protecting my family, and I submitted. But what I didn't realize until I came home was the toll it was taking. Welcome to Episode 13, Going Home, Part 2. Settle in, take a deep breath, and know that whatever you have been through, we can all pass through when we have each other. The highs and the lows. Here we go. Day 39, Baltimore. Personal journal note. My God, dear Lord, I just got out of the car and saw my neighbor, Ellen Webb, again. It's so strange to see her twice now out walking in front of our house, just at the exact time when I arrived at my own doorstep. Is that supposed to mean something, Lord? I don't know what is wrong with me, but I feel I'm falling apart at the seams. To see anything, anyone, familiar, 
I just fall apart. Ellen and the other two women she was walking with on the other side of the road stopped when they saw me pull up. And she walked toward me tentatively and asked the most simple question. Louise, how are you? I don't know, Lord. Was it the care in her voice or just the solid ground of someone very familiar? But I just lost it. I did. I was a mess. Please help me, dear Mother Mary. Please stay close to me. I need you so desperately, Mary, and Jesus, and God. Here is an excerpt of an interview I had seven years later with my Baltimore neighbor and friend, Ellen Webb. I remember you were out walking again and I was getting in my car and I saw you and it was, I felt so safe when I saw you and you turned and said, how are you now? Or something like that. Like how's today? And I broke down standing in the middle of the street, just weeping, saying over and over, it's constant. It's constant. Just that feeling of, of being so intense and overwhelmed in the hospital. And I remember you so specifically, like looking right at me, almost horrified. All I know is that, you know, everybody is, was just in awe of all that your entire family was going through. And obviously you were leading the charge and we just, again, everybody just wanted to help. And it's a hard thing, as you know, because really there's nothing really to be done. And, uh, you know, so I was just glad to see you. I think that's, that's what it felt like for me too, Ellen, because you know, you're such an old friend, as in we've been through so many chapters of our children and and proximity in the neighborhood. And, and even though it wasn't like we were, you know, calling each other every day or going on vacation together, or going out to dinners and, you know, with our families, it was just the times that we did have were cumulative over the years. And when I saw you, it was like seeing a sister. Seeing people so familiar to me, with whom I shared so many memories, felt like home. It was safe and familiar, like seeing a beloved sister or brother after a long time. How is it that any of us can find the words to explain the feeling of coming home? Here is another voice text I found 
as I was wobbling back and forth between the joyful familiarity and safety of being home and the anxious uncertainty of my family's life. But it also makes me smile that I had these voice-to-text personal journal notes as I remembered my gratitude and elation that I had felt when Mary Dillon, one of the UVA friends in Atlanta, whom I called my Atlanta Angels, had shown me just the day before as she was driving me to the Atlanta airport how to use voice-to-text on my phone, or in my case, voice-to-journal. My journaling was often throughout the day, unpolished, but now it could be totally on the fly. I was enamored with this new method. I still had this feeling of knowing Archer would need to look back someday, although it was I who was doing the looking back. But I wanted him to know what it was like and feel the relief that it had passed and that we had made it, or something like that. I believed we would. I just couldn't always see how. You know, journaling can provide a real anchor in times of great pain and chaos. Ironically, the last thing you think you might have time to do. But it does have a healing quality, unlike any medicine a hospital can dispense. It's a very concrete act to spill your thoughts and emotions out over a page. And doing so in real time reminded me I wasn't imagining all of this. It was real. We were in it. And I had to go through it. You too might jot down your darkest, innermost fears in a journal. If you do, you might find, as I did, that it helps to make those edgy thoughts less frightening and overwhelming than they feel and seem, even a little bit. And then, I think writing helps to slowly metabolize those thoughts and those feelings. And then later down the road, when you look back and see how far you've come, or what work you still have to do. You know you are alive and that life is always changing, which means it is always full of potential. Here is another journal entry of mine on my second day home. Personal journal note. I'm sitting in my car in the back parking lot of my office building. I just checked in with some of my mediation team. I love my mediation team. They're worried about me, I know. They're probably worried about all of our futures. I'm worried too, but I know it will be all right. I hope it will be. Please help me make good decisions, dear Mother Mary. Help me, God. It's strange to me that the work I care about so deeply might be in jeopardy too. But I feel I must start stepping away. 
if I am to be the mother I want to be. I just needed to assure my staff that the wheels are not going to fall off the bus while I'm away. But I am stepping away. I have to. But I love this work in Baltimore Mediation so much. I've only been home less than 24 hours and I already have this strange pull to go back to Shepherd. I need to be back there. And it's more important than everything in my office. I want to return to Archer. My staff took a break from our meetings. It's hard on all of us. I walk next door to T.C. Wing, the upscale Chinese hand laundry, to pick up Billy's shirts and dry cleaning left there earlier in the summer. My business neighbor, who was one of the owners, placed her hand over mine as I went to write a check, and she told me she and her family were praying for me and my son. I was deeply moved. How did she know? I then walked around the corner to order some lunch at Chow Mein Charlie's, owned by a couple who worked harder than anyone I knew to send their children to private school. As I walked in on the small entry to pick up my Chinese carryout, she came out from behind the counter and threw her arms around me. She pressed a large bag of food into my hands and said, no charge, no charge, and then told me in her fragmented English, she was praying for me and my son. I was so deeply touched and moved by how generous she was, how incredibly generous those who have so little to spare themselves can be. I treasured that bag of Chinese food and both of these good women telling me they were praying for us. It really took me aback. I didn't know they even believed in God. I'd never even thought about it before. Isn't it so brilliantly beautiful how personal each of our relationships with God is and how it binds us all together. And it is such a wonder how we take so much comfort in knowing others are praying for us. I can't think about all the reasons for that now, but I don't have to. I am feeling very blessed. personal journal note. I'm sitting on the front steps of my office now, about to go back inside. The soft breeze on my face feels so good. I'm thinking of how Archer has not had any fresh air outside for so long. It's such a downside of being in hospitals for a long time. 
We had a conference call today with Johns Hopkins Hospital about our mediation work with all the departments we're working with on integration. I realized I'm living a totally split life. I am working as a professional, helping them from the outside integrate their huge system department by department through collaboration. But I am living in a hospital on the inside and all I want to do is fight hospitals. I'm on alert. They can really hurt you, mainly with their arrogance or carelessness and not knowing what they want you to think they do know. But my mediators on my team who are black have told me in conversations over the years how black communities don't trust hospitals. I remember how I pondered that a number of years ago when I first learned that and how that took me aback a bit. Imagine that, fearing a hospital. I remember how I could not have imagined what it was like for them or for their ancestors to fear the very institutions that were created to care for them that they had to rely upon. And it made me hurt in my chest. I'm thinking about that now as I sit here. I'm afraid of hospitals. I don't want to be. I want to trust that they will keep Archer alive and make him better and know what to do. Because we don't. We don't have all their medical expertise. It's awful that I feel this worm of distrust. I don't like it. I believe in institutions. It's part of a civilized democracy to trust institutions. And for institutions to be trustworthy, to do good for the people. I don't know what is happening to me, but this matters to me a lot. And I can't let what I'm learning about hospitals go by the wayside. I'll have to come back to this thought someday, but not today. Back inside my office building, my team and I continued our transitioning work. Personal journal note. We made a plan for my making personal phone calls to current clients, winding down or transferring the caseload I had, and not taking on any new work except the two large cases I have and all that work I will do in Atlanta. So I'm not leaving with any files, with any of the stacks of mail on the conference table. I'm not taking with me to read any of the law journals or the newspapers that have piled up. I'm taking nothing. I will be back. Before I left, one of my team brought in from the back conference room 
a number of cards and a stack of packages that they said had been dropped off by various clients that they knew I would want to see. I was astonished. It was so entirely unexpected. As I opened each package, there was a note of condolence for hearing about Archer's injury and a gift. Books, plaques, a framed photo, a framed inspirational saying. Some were spiritual. I was floored they would be so kind as to do this. And each present I opened, I treasured for the thought behind sending it. A business client had sent a huge box containing a tall bronze garden sign that was embossed Louise's garden for my years of serving on his advisory board. It was so thoughtful. It was also bittersweet as I had to make calls the last couple of weeks to resign from the nonprofit boards and the one corporate advisory board I was on since I could see it was not possible for me to serve very well. And I didn't know how long it would be until I could. So much was unknown. Billy had asked me to pare down anything that was not essential, and I was. As I began to open the stack of cards of well wishes, there was a letter I will tell you about that really moved me. You see, I had mediated thousands of divorces over the then 23 years of my practice. They ranged from the perfect pals to the fiery foes. And fiery foes can be a very sticky, complicated group to work with. I have stopped predicting the reactions at the conclusions of our arduous mediations because they were all ways marvelously unpredictable, ranging as they did over the years from clients saying the most remarkable, unexpected, tender things as we closed our last session to clients who would stand up, shake my hand, thank me, and laugh with a little tremor that they hoped they never saw me again. I got it. Divorce is painful, and many divorces are brutal, especially when there was a lot of love, many years, and then a betrayal. I've had clients who would stay in touch with me periodically, though, letting me know how they were doing over the years. While others, I became their family business and trust and estates mediator with their siblings and older parents or whatever they needed help with over the years. But many others I never saw again. You get the idea. But in the stack of mail in my office was one of those rare letters of a different variety that I have received over the years, also not very often, from an adult child of the fiery foe divorcing clients. I was always touched when I would hear from them, always wondering how they even knew to reach out to me when they were much younger at the time of the mediated divorce. They usually wrote to thank me for helping their parents not to kill each other 
and I cherished those letters. But on this day, in the stack of mail, was a particular handwritten envelope and one particular large box. Personal journal note. I opened this one particular letter. It began, Dear Professor Semt, I heard about your son. That made me pause right there as I also had to call the law school last month to tell them I would not be able to resume my teaching load this semester. I probably hadn't told you that amidst everything else. I actually thought I would be back in the classroom in a few weeks. I don't know what I was thinking. I studied this letter. The writer said she was a former law student of mine. I scanned my memory for who she was. In the letter, she told me, Professor Semt, I never told you, but you were the mediator for my parents' divorce. She then went on to write, I would never have gone to a good high school or college had my parents kept litigating and spending all our family's money the way they had been. They had been through a few attorneys and been to two other mediators, but they walked out on both. They were so angry and bitter. They hated each other, Professor Semt. You mediated for them, helped them hear each other, and look at the law together. You helped them work it out. It was why I went to law school and I sought you out to take your mediation course. I didn't want to tell you back then. Thank you. We are all doing okay. My mom has remarried. I'm a practicing attorney. When I was a little girl, my parents raised my brother and me to believe in God. We even went to church. I liked it when we went to church, especially when we all went together. But I stopped believing in God when my parents were fighting for so long and divorcing. How could people who said they believed in God be so cruel to each other? How could God allow them to do that? I thought God must not be real. When I heard about your son's horrible accident, I began reading your family and friends updates. I read them every post. I want to let you know that I haven't thought about God in a long time, but I am now. I want to let you know that I said a prayer for you and Archer. It was the first time I have prayed since I was a young girl. I was stunned, and this brought me to tears. She closed her letter by saying, Please, keep writing your blogs. Thank you 
for writing them. I was dissolved. My staff just let me be, bringing me a box of Kleenex as I couldn't stop the tears from streaming down my face. And I didn't want to. I didn't have to. I was home. I think it was then that I realized I may not be going back to my life as I knew it. I collected myself and left my office headed to get my hair cut. I had about three hours left before I needed to be at Dutch's school to pick him up. I want to share with you what unfolded in the rest of the day at home as an amazing thing happened that I never knew was possible until I experienced it on this first trip home. It started with my visit to see my hairstylist, Sue Ebert, to get my mop of haircut. My fine but a lot of it hair was unruly and needed a cut badly. I was also aware that this might be one of my last haircuts with Sue for a while because Billy was highly agitated over our finances and asking me to cut out every non-essential or find an alternative. The last two weeks of Billy's and my daily phone calls had been filled with what I felt were his dramatic swings between the poles of asking me daily at Shepherd if I had been able to work that day to telling me I should close up my business, to telling me we were going to be okay, to telling me to knock out every non-essential expenditure and use of professional time I could. In every conversation, he beat the drum that I had to sell my office building. And he was also making sounds that we would need to sell our house too and find another place for Archer to live. It was pretty bad. I knew he felt incredible pressure as he handled our finances. The finances weighed heavily on me as well. I felt that all I had to do, though, was to continue working enough. And we'd be okay. I just had to figure out how to work differently. But the prospect of selling our house terrified me. And selling my building broke my heart. So there I was, home to get my hair cut and colored, and on to get my health in order after that, and then to see Dutch, trying to be normal and holding it all together. Well, I had to go see Sue Ebert because she had been my hairstylist for about 20 years, and I knew she would do it right. I needed my hair done well because the complete truth was I was determined and I did have a beginning plan to keep the financial wheels on the bus. I was going to fly to Florida the next week for a book signing and to deliver a keynote address 
and then to begin the large mediation case which the Kentucky judge had ordered all the parties to work with me. I needed to look professional. The mediation plans for that case were all happening very quickly the very day I was home. As I had told the clients, I would be available for pre-conference scheduling. My phone felt like it was blowing up all of a sudden with what felt like zillions of messages and my staff texting me just when I thought we had it a little bit under control. But I did realize it was possible for me to leave Shepard for 24 hours or less and get some professional things accomplished that might keep Billy at bay to not sell my building. I had drawn with a black marker a ring around my finger to remind me to grab one black professional suit that would carry me through the fall with one pair of high-heeled shoes for my trips to Kentucky, Delaware, and maybe Texas on the mediation case. I would have to figure out all those logistics later. So I drove out to Sue Ebert's hair salon. Sue had been in the big time of hair business with movie stars and such back in the day and decided she had had enough a number of years ago, sold her business, and moved her single salon to her home. A number of us followed her there. I had come to think of Sue and my hair appointments every six or eight weeks as good for my well-being, as I always felt put together when I left. And I would tease her that every haircut was like a good therapy session, as you know how hairdressers and clients can know a lot about each other over the years, and secrets are kept, because life also is rolling and moving. Maybe you know exactly what I mean with how your hairdresser can become an integral part of, well, your life. I sort of thought of my haircuts with Sue as part of my larger care circle. I had purposefully been creating a close care circle for myself as I neared the age of 50, and I wanted to have the next 50 years full and meaningful, and that meant taking care of myself. I had been influenced by my Enneagram group of fellow teachers and practitioners. We called ourselves the missing middle. As we studied reactivity with self-observation, and we studied somatic practice. Well, over the years of our meeting regularly, I observed them gracefully aging, as they were all older than I. I was also deeply shaped by my transformative mediation practice and work I had been invited to do with different indigenous peoples on ancient traditions. And I was shaped as well by my work with a Mennonite colleague, where it was their tradition to form care teams around people in their congregation who needed trauma support. Well, I had reckoned years ago that I needed similar support as I mediated many high-conflict, stressful situations, interpersonal, organizational, and political. 
and some even what they called intractable. I knew years ago as my practice grew that I didn't want the vitriol, an adversarial, litigious worldview creeping into my world, my marriage, my parenting, my psyche, or into my body, as I was aware of how negative energy can get stuck and trapped in your body, in your organs, causing disease. Even being around bad energy without good method to shield yourself or know how to allow it to flow in and through can be hard on good health over time just by constant exposure. So I was on my way to get my hair cut and from there to see Dr. Mary Ann Lay, a chiropractor and my nutritionist and muscle response tester definitely a member of my care team. But first, on to get my hair cut. Well, years later, I had the chance to interview Sue Ebert about my hair appointment and visit to her on this day in the story. She recalled things I had not, but which helped me to then remember, as I had not written much down about this particular experience, except a few key words. Life is funny like that, you know. Here's an excerpt of my conversation with Sue. So if we take a look back to 2015, when Archer was injured, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping you can help me fill in some of the gaps of things I might not know or even remember. How was it that you heard about Archer? I don't know if it was you calling for a haircut, but I seem to think that it really was through my network of clients, because Baltimore is small Baltimore and everyone knows everyone. And I think it really was a phone tree kind of deal where just everybody was letting everyone know what was going down. That doesn't surprise me because my memory is that we had moved to the Shepherd Center and it was early in our having been there. And I normally would have come to you at the end of August, having sort of been away for August at the beach with the family and my hair would have been wild and you know completely sun bleached and crazy and I did not have that chance and we were moving into September and I knew I needed to get my hair cut and more importantly I knew I really just needed to come see you Mm -hmm. and I remember calling and somehow you just (laughs) knew (laughs) Yeah. And you said, I have been waiting for you. I knew that you were busy and you didn't need to give me information, but I was getting information from my clientele and Facebook and whatnot. Um, So it just, that's how I found out. So I flew back from the Shepherd Center just for 
the day to see Dutch and to take care of some, trying to take care of things at the office and to get my hair cut. Right. And you had still children in the house, yeah. so it, you were spread really thin. I was. Do you remember when I showed up that day? I do. I do. You walked in the door and literally fell apart because it was a safe spot that you could, because you couldn't fall apart in any other aspect of your life because you were holding it together. I think that's why I'm getting so choked up now. Me too. Because that's exactly, that's exactly true. Yep. It was a safe space and you could fall on the floor, you could scream, you could holler, which you did. And you were on your phone constantly and you were so stressed that I was like, you need to put the phone down for 30 minutes. Just take a breather for you. Because you can't keep going at this pace. I and I made you go out and sit by my pond. You did. Because my yard is very energy filled. Very contemplative. And just take 30 minutes while your color process. And I remember you going out there and screaming at the top of your lungs every obscenity. And I know my neighbors were wondering what was going on, but it didn't matter because you needed that minute to release that so you could get back on track when you walked out the door. Wow. Did I really? Mm -hmm. You really did. I do remember. I would not have remembered had you not had the memory that you're sharing with me that jogs mine. I remember sitting near your pond and focusing intensely on a lily pad. Mm -hmm. And it was gloomy. And it brought me such tranquility. Mm -hmm. It did. As I then just sat in silence so long. It absolutely did. My yard is very spirit-filled and very nature-based. It has a lot of energy, healing energy out there. Something else I remember that for me has so much to do with how others might consider being with their friends or loved ones or people they care about when there has been a crisis is while I was getting my hair cut and I, and I don't remember if it was when I went to go pay or I was telling you about I would need to give you a check or however it went and you... Another client had heard your story and everyone was just devastated by the news number one and really coming together and another client of mine paid for your hair that day because that she didn't know you directly but she felt for you and that was how she wanted to help you out so that was just incredible mm -hmm. I mean, it's a person you hardly even knew I think you had maybe mediated for her at one point but not on a personal level it was a business level but that's how she reached out. Amazing.
isn't that really at the basis of all this? Absolutely. And how I think of you as part of my care team, I really mm -hmm. do. Well, it's, it's another thing with my job is I get to physically touch you. And people don't understand how important and how powerful the power of touch, human touch, is. And it really is very powerful. Just this month, it's amazing that you're speaking about that, National Geographic has just done, its cover is on the power of touch. When I go back to when I did come for that haircut and color and that, that day that I just won't ever really forget, it was so monumental, you had also, as Sue, but not only the conduit for another client's goodness and kindness to me, but you had been like ready for me and you had all these gifts for me. I did. Remember? I, I do remember. Because you feel so helpless in situations like that, and I truly believe in more of a pagan style lifestyle and that energy comes from other things that I went about my way doing research and I bought every crystal and a green Buddha for healing and I don't even remember exactly what I got you, but I know it was a whole satchel <laughs> of things. And I told you what to do with them and the amethysts were for healing and protection and where to put them and make an altar. And then along the way, other people started adding to it. And I really believe that that brought a lot of the healing energy to the room because really he should not have survived and he did yeah so it was really a community of prayer and energy and and whatever you want to call it that came to you and your family it was an amazing convergence and one of the aspects of that day that meant so much to me when I was still in the throes of shock and sort of the, that you were newer chapter. I was in a tornado. Yeah, you were just spinning. I, I did deeply believe in the power of prayer mm -hmm. and that when you take a community of people who are focused with a specific intention that you can move mountains. You can. And that there can be healing. You can. And then it and was, we and we did. Mm -hmm. You expanded that for me, mm -hmm. and I learned a lot more about the healing properties of rocks and crystals. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing haircut appointment, to say the least. As I began to leave, with big hugs as I walked out the front door. Another first, as my hairstylist and I had never embraced before. I wasn't exactly sure what to do with the satchel full of crystals. I do believe there are many things in nature that conduct energy at higher frequencies, and alchemists and scientists have known this for years. Certain rocks, shells, plants, and crystals. Heck, oh my goodness, I gotta tell you this. 
I had my feet healed once at a gong bath I attended in the Rocky Mountains outside Denver, Colorado. I was able to choose the crystals I wanted and they were placed at certain points on my body that I wanted to heal as I lay flat on the floor. I had just had double foot surgery and was on crutches. I was having a tough go at healing as the four weeks the surgeon had said I would need was turning into months. When the aboriginal gong musician began to blow into his didgeridoo, which, if you know, is a massive wind instrument of a hollowed-out tree branch, the crystals on my feet and legs began to vibrate, as did my entire body, which spontaneously, after about 20 or so minutes, rose into the air about an inch or so off the ground. Well, my friend who was with me, who's a judge, he was lying next to me, also participating in the gong bath, was agog as he watched the crystals vibrating on my skin. (laughs) It was a moment. And I just kept my eyes closed, hoping it would last until the musician stopped blowing the horn. So I know the power of sound and crystals for realigning the body to its natural state to aid and promote healing. But back to this satchel that Sue had given me. It also contained, as you know, a small green laughing Buddha carved from jade. Well, there was something about that little statue that was unsettling to me, and I wanted to discard the little figurine, but I also wanted to be respectful. I wanted to throw it away or leave it somewhere, but I didn't want to just leave it. It was just a really weird feeling I had. I know it's sort of primitive, but it just didn't feel right or good for me to have it anywhere near me. I know that must sound crazy, but as I drove, I was consumed by this new dilemma. When I arrived at Dr. Lay's office, I took the little bag in with me. I had been seeing Dr. Lay for five or six years ever since Billy was turning 50, as a matter of fact. I had seen her give a talk on nutrition and the body, and she demonstrated to an audience the power of muscle response testing using white sugar. I had hoped Billy might consider seeing her for nutrition and good health, and so I had gone to her to test her out, test drive, if you will, before I recommended her to Billy, as I knew he would be skeptical and I knew she would have to be the real thing. Well, he never went, but I have been seeing her ever since. I relied on her to tell me what my body needed in nutritional supplements from month to month, relying on the technique of nutritional response testing, what I call muscle response testing. If you are unfamiliar with this technique, it relies on the wisdom and energy of your own body, encountering 
the energy field of another object, such as food or anything you would ingest, to indicate if it is something your body would benefit from or if it would be harmful. This is how it works. It works by holding the food in one hand while pressing on the muscles on the opposite arm to form a lock, which tells the practitioner what food or products are okay. The stronger the lock, the more the body likes the substance because the body doesn't have to ward off something toxic or that would make it sick over time. I love this technique because it's not what the brain wants or craves, but what the body indicates is good for its skin, tissue, muscles, and organs. If the arm can't hold a lock, it's because the body is fighting off the substance. As it can't put energy into defending the body at the same time it's putting energy into holding a lock. It's pretty basic and fascinating. And I have found it enormously instructive over the years, helping me choose more wisely what to eat and drink or not eat and drink, as well as what hair products, makeup, or anything I might be putting on my skin or in my body to buy and use. You can learn more about this in the next Trauma Healing Learning 13 with Dr. Marianne Lay. When Dr. Lay first introduced me to this technique for well-being, I admit I too was skeptical. I would always close my eyes as I lay in her medical table and see what my body had to tell me as I knew my mind was strong and I didn't want to see what she was testing me for as I thought it might influence things. Well, she would put food supplements or known environmental toxins like bleach or dry cleaning fluid in a vial in my hands to test. Well, the doubting Thomas that I was, she had to go the extra mile and sometimes she would put it in a bowl. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Lay all these years later. I hope you might learn something about how trauma impacts our organs and what she found in a body scan of me on this day in the story. But I really wanted to interview her to see if she remembers what I thought was a most remarkable thing that happened in our muscle response testing session that day. She did remember. Here is an excerpt. To make the story of what I would like to review with you or ask you if you have any memory of, of what it was that we did, if you do remember when I came to visit you in those very distressing early, early days, early weeks of Archer's injury. Um, having just come from my hairdresser and I arrived with a satchel of a number of gifts that she had given me. I don't know oh, yeah. remember that. Do you remember? Yes. You pulled out a little, a little Buddha. A little Buddha, a little green. Like a good luck charm. Some, yeah, yeah, like a good luck charm. And she had given me a number of different types of crystals 
there mm -hmm. was a white crystal, an amethyst crystal, and I think a, a blue, a lapis luzi, which I, I always have liked. I think she had a couple beads uh, for me, but I, I wasn't because I knew about energy and I would oftentimes come see you maybe, you know, monthly. And I would also bring like the shampoo I was using, or I got a new cream for right. my face, or I was getting, you know, I was going to spray myself with some yeah. suntan lotion. I'd bring it to you and we'd muscle response <laughs> test it, right? right. We'd muscle test it, body, right. If my body liked it. And, and we'd find out most of the things my body was fine with. And some things my body was not fine with at all, mm -hmm. even though it said, you know, on the front of it, organic. <laughs> That's right. So that was super, super helpful. So I arrive right with this stuff, which had nothing to do with my coming to see you for, right. the <laughs> you know, I I remember that. For, for the different things that, that you <laughs> would have given me, like, you know, extra, whatever we were doing. And I remember you said, I want to give you this. I said, what is it? And you said, it's ashwagandha. And you, you said, and you put out your arm and then you told me to put out my hand and it, uh, I did. And you put the bottle of ashwagandha in my hand and we had a really strong lock. And I said, wow, what is that? Cause I'd never heard of it before. And you said, this is for I a, said, a broken heart. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's an adaptogenic herb that can be used to facilitate this adrenal response whether you need more or less the body will take that herb will be used in, by your body to bring your body to homeostasis to balance so it's just a great herb it's great for stress and we use it a lot but i felt you needed it at the time and your body did respond well to it so it did <laughs> I, think, I was I think so you went for it appreciative because <laughs> you had done that scan Mm -hmm. And I came up with my heart being really weakened, needing support and my adrenal glands. And I doesn't that make sense? Totally. It made sense, but I, it didn't at the time relative to my adrenal glands, because I was not astute about adrenals seven years mm -hmm. ago in, in the way that I am now. And again, you open my eyes that day. I remember saying, what are, what are my adrenal glands? <laughs> so the adrenal glands produce your cortisol and your sex hormones. And they're like little tiny glands that sit on top of the kidney on either side of your body. And they have a lot of work to do. <laughs> so when you're under a stress response, your, your adrenals can be they become tired and then your body has to deal with that fatigue, but it also keeps you from going, well, the pathway to make adrenaline and to make sex hormones comes from the adrenal glands and you need cholesterol, believe it or not, to do that, which is another subject about the need for cholesterol in your body. And it's not a bad thing, but anyway, that's another talk. So the adrenal glands actually function to keep you in balance with being able to sleep, being able to, to have that fight or flight response and to temper it because you could be in a hyper or sympathetic mode and be agitated. And, you know, like a lot of people are, they live in a, in a high sympathetic state 
So the adrenal glands are constantly producing and pumping out adrenaline. And so that could be a problem for, for a lot of people, as you might you know, realize. And so when we tested those adrenal glands, you were weak. I don't remember exactly, you know, which side or both or whatever, but, you know, one of the adaptogenic herbs that helps the adrenals to function normally or to balance themselves, it was the ashwagandha. That was just one herb and your body responded really well. And, and that's why we, uh, we gave it to you. So if it didn't respond well with the muscle testing, we wouldn't give it to you, even though it's a great herb and other people love it and it's organic and it's whatever from a great store, you know, or, it's very specific. So that's the nutrition response testing protocols. If it doesn't work for you or your body doesn't test positive or test strong, it's not going to be for you. That was such a huge awakening for me, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what it was labeled or how great, beautiful it was or how great it looked or right. was touted. Um, or as you said, the quality of the store being, you know, just impeccable if your body doesn't like something, it doesn't like something. And it knows it because of the, my understanding of this is your body can only fight off well, one thing at a time. And if it's been in this, as I was, I, I'm sure I showed up like, you know, mm -hmm. fear in the headlights. I was on, um, I would say hyper alert at that time. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. the ICUs constantly with, and not sleeping very much. And Archer had taken an, another, you know, a dip at the time when I came to see you, but how the adrenals, our adrenals need so much support. Um, and, and they're there to help you. Yes. To keep you in that heightened response so that you can function. Right. right? Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. It, to be in a heightened response is a good thing. It's your body saying, you know, we're keeping you alive or you're yes. to keep somebody else alive kind of thing. Right. I was flying back to Atlanta. I was coming home for just hours. And I said, I'm going back. I can't have any barriers. I can't have anything in Archer's room that's a barrier. And because these gifts have been given to me lovingly, you know, I, I love my hairdresser. And I knew that she gave them to me with every beautiful, good intention. Sure. So we, you said, all right, because we are finished lie back down. And I, and you said, okay, open it up. And so we did one by one and, you know, strong lock, strong lock. And then we got to the, the laughing Buddha and I had such a, I, I could not get a lock. And then you showed me what it was. And I'm like, no way. That's the one. I just didn't feel very good about it. I don't know. No way. And then I was like, I don't believe it. So he said, all right. And you got a bowl and you said, you know, close your eyes and you put one thing at a time in the bowl because of, again, the energy field and by George, if it didn't happen again, do you remember that? I do remember that, but you have a really good memory. Of course, um, you know, it's so appropriate <laughs> that you would remember such, you know, that particular well, thing. It's incredible. But then you did something extraordinary. That I once again, I never knew the power of this. You took out your pencil and you wrote something down <laughs> on a piece of paper and you ripped it <laughs> off and you lay it on my chest. 
I had the Buddha and it was very weak and you set it aside and you put this on my chest and you said, put out your arm. It was so strong. And I said, what did you just do? And you were just like, you were so Marianne. Well, yeah, here it is. And I picked it up and you held it in front of me, this little piece of paper. Do you remember what you had written on the piece of paper? I really don't remember. Mother Mary. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. It was a big wow. Mm. And, and you knew my devotion to the Mother Mary. Mm. And I just, I'll never forget that. It was just so incredible to me. It's because the power of words, the power of thoughts, the power of, you know, healing and the power of Mother Mary, right? <laughs> and yeah. so, and, you know, I, it just spoke for itself, really. That's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> spoke, spoke for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it is just the energetic power of words. The power of words for the body and healing. The adrenal glands needing support. These new learnings about trauma were unfolding for me. Perhaps they are unfolding for you too. I flew back to Atlanta, clutching my ashwagandha, believing and knowing it, the crystals, and more importantly, God's mercy, and my asking Mary to allow me to feel her loving arms around me would all heal my broken heart and calm my working overtime adrenal glands. I thought about how, as I lay on Marianne's medical couch, the tears had streamed down my cheeks when she had named what captured it all. I was suffering terribly from a broken heart. It wasn't rocket science to say this, but the acknowledgement by a practitioner I valued and trusted meant a great deal to me a broken heart that shows up in your medical profile. When that profile has expanded to include such things. So many dreams and parts of a good life seem shattered or seem to be in the process of fragmenting and scattering. I couldn't let that happen. I needed the support to make sure it did not happen. What was singularly important to me was my whole family, my family as a whole, that we would emerge from all of this intact I was on edge, plagued by the uncertainty of not knowing when it would all end. When we could all come home, together, 
and be normal again. As I got off the plane in Atlanta, I thought again of that little piece of paper with Mother Mary scribbled on it, and it made me smile. I told myself my heart felt broken. Our lives felt torn, but we were not broken. We were whole. We just had to recreate the feeling of wholeness. We had to come home to the feeling of wholeness. I was reminded it was there all along, right, Lord? It's a spiritual view, I know, but that's what I love about faith and all of us. We are spiritual beings. Let me come home to you, God. Fill my heart wherever it is I travel. And when I am back with Archer at Shepherd, fill us with the feeling of knowing we are already home. I know it's a simple shift of attention. Right, Lord? Grant me that ability. Thank you for that ability you have given all of us. Amen. For now, I say goodbye. This is where the episode ends, but it is not where the story ends. Tune in to hear the next Archer blogs in the coming weeks. They are the Archer blogs that most definitely heightened my adrenal response, and I prayed it was enough to keep me and Archer alert and fighting in the days to come. And I hope you consider your own care team and whom you choose to surround yourself with. Energy follows attention. Be well. Pay attention to your bodies. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. Tune in next week for our companion, Blink of an Eye Trauma Healing Learning 13, Nutritional Response Testing for Trauma Healing and SCI with Dr. Marianne Lay. Thank you for listening, and thank you for telling your friends about the Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide 
by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face -face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com. Blink of an Eye podcast is sponsored by I See That, the integrative center for trauma healing, advocacy, and transformation. A nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, November 3rd, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.icthat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.